What difference does it make? The gospel, I mean, that true story that Jesus, the God of this universe who made everything, took on flesh, came down to, to live in our muck and our mess, did so perfectly, but then died, died our death defeated that death, rose to life again, and has ascended to life eternal. What difference does the gospel make? Perhaps you'd answer that question by saying, it means that you can be forgiven. You know yourself to be a deeply flawed individual. The things that you've done, the things that you've said, the things that you've thought, even the things you haven't done, haven't said that you should have. And the gospel is this proclamation to you that it can all be washed away. You who are guilty can become innocent. That's the difference that it makes. I'll go along with that. Or perhaps you'd say that the gospel, uh, the difference it makes is that you at last can be accepted. That you are an individual you know who is made for relationship with other people, with God, even to find that sort of comfort with yourself and the story the true story of the gospel is that you can be reconciled that you can um, come into a relationship with God that you don't have to spend your life trying to prove yourself to others or indeed yourself the gospel difference is that you finally at last have those relationships and they're safe and they're secure and you're accepted I go along with that as well Perhaps you'd answer it like this, that the gospel gives you hope for the future. That apart from that true story of Jesus and everything that he is and has done, the future seems pretty bleak. The future seems pretty hopeless. In the words of Avicii, uh, my father told me, um, live a life you will remember because one day you're going to die. Well, if that's it, Avicii, who I love, by the way, then no, that sounds hopeless because I won't remember my life beyond death. But the hope that we have in the gospel, the true story of Jesus, is that this life continues on. That this life will grow and take on more value and more meaning as we enter into eternal life with Jesus. Maybe that's the difference that you'd say the gospel makes, and I'd go along with that too. Well, over the last couple of months as a church in our rooted groups, those for those who don't know, our home groups, our Bible study groups, we've been studying Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus. And if I could sum it up in one sentence, it would be this. Paul is writing to help those Jesus followers to see and to understand that, yes, the gospel does make a difference. It does make a very real difference in all of those things and in how we live our lives day by day. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. It's kind of a tipping point in the letter where Paul has been um, up until this point really sort of trying to help fill the minds of the believers about the truth the scope, the extent of who Jesus is and what he has done. And he's about to transition into the portion of the letter where he's passing on instructions. And this is what he writes. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling 
you have received. As a prisoner of the Lord, I, Paul, then urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You know, knowledge is supposed to have an impact, isn't it? That when you know something to be true, it can, it might, it should shape how you live. Let me give you an example. Current circumstances, we've been speaking a lot over the last couple of years about the cost of living uh, crisis, of interest rates going up, of energy prices fluctuating, of the potential for our bills to go keep on going up and up and up. Now, we were told and warned about this before 2022. And I suppose at that point, having been told about it, we would have had the opportunity to do something about it. We would have had the opportunity, perhaps if our mortgage wasn't fixed, to fix it. Or our energy tariff, if that was sort of like on a variable rate, to fix in the price that we were paying um, for 12 months or 24 months. You see, a certain knowledge would have, should have resulted in action on our part. Or, put it another way, the cost of energy has risen. We know that our bills are going through the roof, that direct debits are increasing or top-ups at the meter aren't lasting as long. And, you know, that armed with that knowledge, perhaps our lives should change. We might take more time to turn things off standby. We might maybe put an extra layer on rather than um, bumping the heating up a, a degree or two. The knowledge that we have will affect how we live. And that is exactly the case with Paul's letter to the Ephesian and this sense, this idea that knowing Jesus having our reality changed and shaped by him should affect how each and every part of our lives goes. And so Paul writes that we should live a life worthy of the calling we received. Now, that can sort of sound in Paul's language as if he's saying we should live in such a way that God will love us, that we live a life that's worth it. So behave yourself enough, give to poor enough, uh, stop swearing, don't drink, don't smoke, live in such a way that God will accept you, that God will call you. But we know that it can't mean that. In chapter one of Ephesians, it, there we have this magnificent prayer of praise. And Paul speaks about all these benefits of the gospel as glorious gifts from God. Things like forgiveness, like adoption, like the hope of a future inheritance as being the gracious gifts of God given to us through Jesus by his spirit. They aren't ever suggested to be things that are earned, but they are things that are given by the blessing God of the Bible. The God we meet in the Bible isn't a God who expects us to earn his favour. The God we meet in the Bible is one who constantly blesses those, who gives graciously his kindness to people who don't deserve it. So it doesn't make sense that Paul would be saying, live a life in order to be loved by God. Moreover, 
in chapter 2, and we'll look at this in future weeks. The imagery that Paul uses to describe humanity as a whole and what Jesus does for them is taking a dead person and bringing them back to life. Now, dead people can't do anything to change the fact that they're dead, can they? Watch as many Grey's Anatomies or Holby Cities or um, Casualties, whatever it, uh, medical drama of your choice is, watch as many of them as you want and it just doesn't happen. Dead people can't do anything to change their situation. They need somebody from the outside to come in to effect a change. So what could Paul mean then when he writes, live a life worthy? Well, I've looked it up in a couple of other translations. I've, I've drilled down into the Greek. I've kind of got the thesaurus out. And this is the sense that I think makes most of this passage. That Paul is saying, live a life that is becoming of someone called by God. Live a life that rolls out of the calling that you have. He's essentially saying, if Christ then this is what it looks like for you. And this pattern, this formula of first considering the truth of Jesus and then exploring the impact that it should have in our life isn't new to Paul in his letter to the Ephesian believers. We as a church have been looking at Acts and we've already seen it a couple of times. That really miraculous stuff happens in the life of Peter and John and those first disciples. And when this otherworldly miraculous stuff happens, Peter stands up and he says, basically, of course this stuff is happening. Because God has kept his promises. The Messiah has come. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. It would be weird... It would be more weird if these miraculous things weren't happening. We are experiencing life worthy of the truth that Jesus has died, risen, ascended and sent his spirit. And that is the, the letter to the Ephesians all over. Paul spends the first three chapters filling the minds, filling the gaze, filling the imagination of the believers, helping them to see that, that, that Jesus is more, that the gospel is more than they'd hoped or imagined, and therefore how their lives should be utterly transformed by it. In chapter one, I mentioned there's this great prayer of praise to God. But in verse 15, he turns from like this prayerful praise to a prayer for the believers. I love what Paul prays here. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
Ah, oh, that's a smashing passage. And it's a smashing passage, in my opinion, because it, it sets up this exact kind of um, uh, way of thinking and it prays for it all the more. Did you see how he acknowledged there in verse 15 that these are people who know the truth? That these are people who are filled with faith in Jesus ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. How you've, you've, you've heard the message. You've heard the story. You've taken it to be true in your hearts and in your lives. But more than that, not just people who pro pro profess and proclaim Jesus, but who live it out. I've heard about your faith and your love for all God's people. He acknowledges that their, their faith is in Jesus, but it's not just existing in confession alone. They are fulfilling the law by loving all God's people. The truth is impacting their lives. I love it because it sets up that sort of pattern of thinking. But what he prays for them, I think, is even more um, beautiful, even more majestic, even more precious for us. Because he prays that their knowledge would be filled out. He isn't satisfied that they have this, if you like, surface level of Jesus is God. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again, you can be forgiven. He isn't satisfied with that alone, but he wants them to go deeper into it. And not because there's some exam or test awaiting them. He doesn't say, right, you've got the basics, but, you know, when you die, you stand at the gates, they're going to ask you these deeper theological questions, and if you don't get them right, you won't go in. No, it's not because there's an exam or a test coming up. Because It's because the more that we know Jesus and his purposes, what he's doing, the more we will be transformed. The more we know the truth, the more we see the light, the more we, we will be able to walk in it transformed by it because the truth about Jesus really does change everything it does change our reality the, the world that we live in is different when we see and recognize who he is and what he's done in it you know without Jesus we're left with this probability that we're just mere molecules but with Jesus, all of a sudden the world that we live in and us in this world, we are crafted creatures. You know, without Jesus, we are just destined for the soil. But with Jesus, well, then we're definitely living beyond death, aren't we? Without Jesus, we can go about acting, living as if we're kings or queens of our own little kingdoms. But with Jesus, we are servants of the King. And as we come to know Jesus more, we, we find out that he's, he's a sort of King who is kind and compassionate and gracious. One we love to serve and honour and praise. Not a harsh, dictatorial King we just serve begrudgingly. You see, Jesus changes everything. He came and in his life, he redefined what is possible for human beings. He redefined what is expected of human beings. One of the other things that we learn in Paul's letter to the Ephesians is how God's master plan for displaying his incomparable grace and his wisdom 
on earth and in heaven. His master plan is us, believers, the church. It, it boggles the mind, actually. But in putting us right, fixing us up, our relationship with God and with one another, helping transform how we live, God is demonstrating to all the heavenly and earthly creation what sort of God he truly is. So our lives should respond to the truth about Jesus as we go deeper into it. But it can also, they can also confirm or deny these gloriously true things about God and about Jesus. It's madness. It's, it's mind-boggling that that would be his plan. That would be his strategy for lifting up his own name through folks like you and I who are completely different because of Jesus. So what does that mean for us then as we kind of start August and we're going to go deeper into the letter to the Ephesian church? What does it mean? Well, the application really for us should be that over the next month, say, we want to have our eyes, the eyes of our hearts enlightened. The application should be that we never want to settle to be a people who think that we already know it all about Jesus, but keep on asking the question, what else? What more is there to be seen? What more is there to be discovered? Like Doctor Who's TARDIS, it appears to be one small thing on the outside, but as you approach, as you draw near, as you enter into it, you just see how vast it is on the inside. Or those photographs that we've had recently on the James Webb Space Telescope. You know, this pin prick point in the night sky that we might have seen a little bit of light in. But when we look closer, we see that it is filled with millions of stars. And that in that, there are even these pin pricks of light, which aren't stars, but they are galaxies themselves. That when we come nearer, we would see that there is so much more to see so much more to know and to grasp. I think one of the applications for us this morning, as we anticipate a summer ahead of us, is that we would have this desire, this inquisitiveness to know Jesus more and to know more fully the extent of the gospel and the difference that it makes. So can I suggest two things that we do? Firstly, a practice for us this week. At the start of every day, just try this with me for seven days, a little experiment. Lay out what lies before you and try to answer this question. Because of Jesus, what's different for today? How I conduct myself, how I respond in certain situations, what I pursue and change. What is going to be different because I know him? And because of what he has done. The start of the day, think, well, today I've got work. Today um, I'm entertaining the kids. Today I'm booking a hall. Whatever it is, whatever lies before you that day, stop, lay it all out and ask the question, why these things are not other things? Or, or how will I conduct myself in these things differently because of who Jesus is? My guess is that we're going to find that difficult. 
My guess is that we will find it difficult to join the dots between Jesus, who lived and died and rose again, and going out for coffee with a friend. But Paul's very point in the letter to the Ephesians is that the truth about Jesus changes our entire lives. Peter's point in his sermons in Acts is that because of Jesus, our world is utterly different. So try that experiment this week at the start of every day. Maybe literally write it out. Just the things that you're expecting to happen that day, the things that you have planned. And then stop and ask the question, how is it different because of Jesus? How will it be different because of Jesus? That's the first thing that we can try and do. The second thing that I'm going to encourage us all to do is to pray along with Paul. To pray along with Paul as he does there at the end of chapter one for ourselves and for each other. Pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, of seeing and knowing and understanding the truth, so that we might know him better. That's how we describe our life together as a church, that we want to know Jesus more and we want to make Jesus more known. Pray this for yourselves. Pray this for one another. I pray, he says, verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Write down what you're doing that day, this week. How does Jesus make it different? And pray for yourselves and for others as Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians here, that the Spirit of God would help to open our eyes, grant us his wisdom, and to make us live a life that is worthy of calling in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for you being that speaking God, that showing God, that revealing God, that the truth of how things are, of who we are, which is obscured in our world of lies. The truth declared, which is kind of um, fighting against the noise of all the other messages we hear in this world. We thank you that you're a God who speaks and reveals clearly. I thank you for those of us who have come to see and to know and to cherish the truth. I think of others, Lord, who may be gathering and hearing, Lord, we pray that you would open their eyes to the truth. For those of us who do believe, we want to, to see and to know all the more. Lord, plant in us those seeds of holy discontent, a discontentment with, with what we know already, that we would want to desperately, as Paul prayed, know more, to know you better, to know the fullness and the scope of what Jesus has done. And more than that, Lord God, we want to be changed, we want to be transformed, we want to see and know and live out the difference. That if Jesus is true, if what he has done transforms our reality, Lord, then we will really live differently. Help us to discern those differences and help us to walk in the light, those who have been called into the light. 
We want to do that, Lord, because life is better when we're following Jesus. But we want to do it too, Lord, because you have, in your wisdom, ordained it that our lives, our transformed lives, would themselves be megaphones to all the heavenly and earthly creation of your glorious graciousness, your wisdom, your goodness, your love and your kindness. Help us more and more to be those bright, shining beacons of your honour. In Jesus' name, in the power of the Spirit, we ask these things. Amen.